What is nonverbal communication? This is referred to as a non-nonverbal behavior or body language. It is a means of transmitting information, similar to spoken words, but achieved through facial expressions, gestures, touching, haptics, physical movements, kinesics, posture, body adornment, clothes, jewelry, hairstyle, tattoos, etc., and even the tone, timbre, and volume of an individual's voice, rather than spoken content. According to Burgoon in the book, Nonverbal Communication, the Unspoken Dialogue approximately 60-65% of all interpersonal communication and, during lovemaking, can constitute 100% of communication between partners. Nonverbal communication can reveal a person's real thoughts, feelings, and intentions. As a result, nonverbal behaviors are often termed tells, because they tell us about the person's actual state of mind. On the other hand, people are not always aware they are communicating nonverbally, therefore, the body language is regarded as more honest than an individual's verbal pronouncements, which are often crafted to accomplish the speaker's objectives. In the book Emotional Intelligence by Goleman, it's stated that researchers have established that those who can adequately read and interpret nonverbal communication, and manage how others perceive them, will enjoy greater success in life than individuals who lack this skill. Research tells us liars tend to gesture less, touchless, and move their arms and legs less than honest people. One of the fascinating things about an appreciation for nonverbal behavior is its universal applicability. It works everywhere humans interact. Nonverbals are ubiquitous and reliable. Once you know what a specific nonverbal behavior means, you can use that information in any number of different circumstances and in all types of environments. In fact, it is difficult to interact effectively without nonverbals. If you ever wondered why people still fly to meetings in the age of computers, text messages, emails, telephones, and video conferencing, it is because of the need to express and observe nonverbal communications in person. Nothing beats seeing the nonverbals up close and personal. Why? Because nonverbals are powerful and they have meaning. Whatever you learn from this book, you will be able to apply to any situation, in any setting. How to use the commandments to observe and decode nonverbal communications successfully reading people successfully and collecting nonverbal clues to assess their thoughts, feelings, and intentions is a skill that requires constant practice and proper training. To help, the author has provided some commandments or guidelines to maximize your effectiveness in reading nonverbals. Incorporating these commandments into your everyday life will make them part of your routine and become second nature to you, needing little, if any, conscious thought. It's a lot like learning to drive, the problem is that most people spend their lives looking but not truly seeing, or, like Sherlock Holmes, the meticulous English detective, declared to his partner, Dr. Watson, you see, but you do not observe. Commandment 1, be a competent observer of your environment. This is the most basic requirement for anyone wishing to decode and use nonverbal communications. Concerted, effortful, observation is absolutely essential to reading people and detecting their nonverbal tells successfully. The problem is that most people spend their lives looking but not truly seeing, or, like Sherlock Holmes, the meticulous English detective, declared to his partner, Dr. Watson, you see, but you do not observe. Commandment 2, observing in context is key to understanding nonverbal behavior. When trying to understand nonverbal behavior in real life situations, the more you understand the context in which it takes place, the better you will be at understanding what it means. According to the author, when an accident occurs, he expects people to be in shock and to walk around looking dazed. He expects their hands to shake and even for them to make poor decisions like walking into oncoming traffic. This is why officers ask you to stay in your car, why? 
After an accident, people suffer the effects of a complete hijack of the thinking brain by a region of the brain known as the limbic system. The result of this hijacking includes behaviors such as trembling, disorientation, nervousness, and discomfort. In context, these actions are to be expected and confirm the stress from the accident. Commandment 3. Learn to recognize and decode nonverbal behaviors that are universal. Some body behaviors are considered universal because they are exhibited similarly by most people. For instance, when people press their lips together in a manner that seems to make them disappear, it is a clear and common sign that they are troubled and something is wrong. This nonverbal behavior, known as lip compression, is one of the universal tells that they are troubled and something is wrong. Commandment 4. Learn to recognize and decode idiosyncratic nonverbal behaviors in attempting to identify idiosyncratic signals. You'll want to be on the lookout for behavioral patterns in people you interact with regularly friends, family, co-workers, persons who provide goods or services to you consistently. The better you know an individual, or the longer you interact with him or her, the easier it will be to discover this information because you will have a larger database upon which to make your judgments. For example, if you note your teenager scratches his head and bites his lip when he is about to take a test, this may be a reliable idiosyncratic tell that speaks of his nervousness or lack of preparation. To determine the baseline behaviors of the people with whom you regularly interact, you need to note how they usually look, how they typically sit, where they place their hands, the usual position of their feet, their posture and common facial expressions, the tilt of their heads, and even where they generally place or hold their possessions, such as a purse. You need to be able to differentiate between their normal face and their stressed face. Commandment 6. Always try to watch people for multiple tells, behaviors that occur in clusters or in succession. Your accuracy in reading people will be enhanced when you observe multiple tells or clusters of behavior body signals on which to rely. These signals work together like the parts of a jigsaw puzzle. The more pieces of the puzzle you possess, the better your chances of putting them all together and seeing the picture they portray. To illustrate, if the author observes that a business competitor displays a pattern of stress behaviors, followed closely by pacifying behaviors, I can be more confident that she is bargaining from a position of weakness. How to understand the non-verbals of the feet and legs. Do you know the most honest part of the body? The part that is most likely to reveal a person's true intentions, making it a prime place to look for non-verbal signals that accurately describe what he or she is thinking. It is the feet. According to Joe, your feet, along with your legs, win the honesty award, hands, or should we call it feet down in this case? When reading body language, most individuals start their observation at the top of a person the face, and work their way down, even though the face is the one part of the body that most often is used to bluff and conceal true sentiments. But Joe's approach is the exact opposite, according to him having conducted thousands of interviews for the FBI, he has learned to concentrate on the suspect's feet and legs first, moving upward in his observations, reading the face last. When it comes to honesty, truthfulness decreases as we move from the feet to the head. The following are significant nonverbal behaviors involving the feet and legs. The happy feet. Happy feet are feet and legs that wiggle and or bounce with joy. When people suddenly display happy feet, particularly if this occurs right after they have heard or seen something of significance, it's because it has affected them in a positive emotional way. Happy feet are a high confidence tell, a signal that a person feels he is getting what he wants or is in an advantageous position to gain something of value from another person or from something else in his environment. You don't need to look under the table to see happy feet. Just look at a person's shirt and or his shoulders. 
If his feet are wiggling or bouncing, his shirt and shoulders will be vibrating or moving up and down. These are not grossly exaggerated movements, in fact, they are relatively subtle. But if you watch for them, they are discernible. When feet shift direction, particularly toward or away from a person or object, we naturally tend to turn toward things that are agreeable to us, and that includes individuals with whom we are interacting. In fact, we can use this information to determine whether others are happy to see us or would prefer that we leave them alone. For instance, when you approach two people engaged in a conversation. These are individuals you have met before and want to join in the discussion, so you walk up to them and say, Hi. The problem is that you're not sure if they really want your company. Is there a way to find out? Yes. Watch their feet and torso behavior. If they move their feet along with their torsos to admit you, then the welcome is full and genuine. However, if they don't move their feet to welcome you but, instead, only swivel at the hips to say hello, then they'd rather be left alone. The knee clasp This is an example of when an individual wants to leave his current location. If the individual is sitting down places both hands on his knees in a knee clasp, this is a visible sign that in his mind, he is ready to conclude the meeting and take leave. Usually, this hands-on-knee gesture is followed by a forward lean of the torso and or a shift of the lower body to the edge of the chair, both intention movements. When you note these cues, particularly when they come from your superiors, it's time to end your interaction, be astute and don't linger. How to understand the non-verbals of the torso, hips, chest, and shoulders. This chapter covers the hips, abdomen, chest, and shoulders, collectively known as the torso or trunk. As with the legs and the feet, many of the behaviors associated with the torso reflect the true sentiments of the emotional brain. The following are significant nonverbal behaviors involving the torso, hips, chest, and shoulders. The torso lean. Like much of our body, the torso will react to perceived dangers by attempting to distance itself from anything stressful or unwanted. For instance, when an object is thrown at us, our limbic system sends signals to the torso to move away instantly from that threat. Typically, this will happen regardless of the nature of the object. If we sense movement in our direction, we will pull away, whether from a baseball or a moving car. Similarly, when an individual is standing next to someone who is being obnoxious or someone he does not like, his torso will lean away from that individual. Because the torso carries a large portion of our weight and transmits it to the lower limbs, any reorientation of our trunks requires energy and balance. Therefore, when one's torso does lean away from something, it is because the brain demands it, so, we can count on the honesty of these reactions. Ventral denial and ventral fronting. This torso display reflects the limbic brain's need to distance and avoid are very good indicators of true sentiments. When one person in a relationship feels that something is wrong with the way things are going, he or she is most likely sensing a subtle degree of physical distancing in his or her partner. The distancing can also take the form of what I call ventral denial. Our ventral front side, where our eyes, mouth, chest, breasts, genitals, etc. are located, is very sensitive to things we like and dislike. When things are good, we expose our ventral sides toward what we favor, including those people who make us feel good. When things go wrong, relationships change, or even when topics are discussed that we disfavor, we will engage in ventral denial, by shifting or turning away. The ventral side is the most vulnerable side of the body, so the limbic brain has an inherent need to protect it from the things that hurt or bother us. This is the reason, for example, we immediately and subconsciously begin to turn slightly to the side when someone we dislike approaches us at a party. 
When it comes to courtship, an increase in ventral denial is one of the best indicators that the relationship is in trouble. Shoulder shrugs. Full and slight shoulder shrugs can mean a lot in context. When the boss asks an employee, do you know anything about this customer's complaint, and the employee answers, no, while giving a half shrug, chances are the speaker is not committed to what was just said. An honest and true response will cause both shoulders to rise sharply and equally. Expect people to give full, high, shoulder shrugs when they confidently support what they are saying. There is nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, while both shoulders rise up toward the ear. This is a gravity-defying behavior that usually signifies the person is comfortable and confident with his or her actions. If you see a person's shoulders only partially rise or if only one shoulder rises, chances are the individual is not limbically committed to what he or she is saying and is probably being evasive or even deceptive. How to understand the non-verbals of the non-verbals of the arms. In terms of observing body language, the arms are largely underappreciated. We typically place much more emphasis on the face and hands when seeking to read nonverbal behavior. In observing for signs of comfort, discomfort, confidence, or other displays of feeling, the arms serve well as emotive transmitters. The following are significant nonverbal behaviors involving the arms. Gravity-related arm movements. The degree to which we move our arms is a significant and accurate indicator of our attitudes and sentiments. These movements can range from subdued, restrained and constricted, to exuberant, unrestrained and expansive. When we are happy and content, our arms move freely, even joyfully. Watch children at play. Their arms move effortlessly while they interact. You will see them pointing, gesticulating, holding, lifting, hugging, and waving. When excited, we don't restrict our arm movements, in fact, our natural tendency is to defy gravity and raise our arms high above our heads. Candidly tell a colleague about a drastic and costly mistake she just made at work, and her shoulders and arms will sink down and droop. Ever have that sinking feeling? It's a limbic response to a negative event. Negative emotions bring us down physically. Not only are these limbic responses honest, but they happen in real time. We leap and thrust our arms in the air the moment the point is scored, or our shoulders and arms sink when a referee rule against us. These gravity-related behaviors communicate emotions accurately, and at a precise moment, we are affected. Ticket agents can often identify passengers who will become problematic by how wide they position their arms when they are at the counter. Arm withdrawal. When we are upset or fearful, we withdraw our arms. In fact, when we are injured, threatened, abused, or worried, our arms come straight to our sides, or they close across our chests. This is a survival tactic that helps protect the individual when a real or perceived danger is sensed. For instance, when two people are arguing, they may both engage in this arm withdrawal behavior, a very protective behavior of which neither party may be aware. This restraint has survival value, it protects the body while presenting a non-provocative position. In essence, they are holding themselves back, since extending the arms might be construed as an attempt to strike and injure the other party, causing a fight to ensue. Self-restraint can assist us not only in dealing with others but also in dealing with ourselves when we need to be comforted. For instance, injuries or pain in the torso and arms often cause us to restrict arm movement in an attempt to self-soothe or pacify. Restriction of arm movement. Restriction of arm movements, arm freeze, particularly when it occurs in children, can sometimes have more sinister implications. According to the author, in studying indicators of child abuse, experience shows that these children will restrict their arm movements in the presence of abusive parents or other predators. 
This makes perfect survival sense, since all animals, especially predators, orient toward movement. Instinctively, the abused child learns that the more he moves, the more likely he is to be noticed and then potentially targeted by an abuser. So, the child's limbic system instinctively self-regulates to make sure his arms do not attract attention. Arm freeze behavior can serve to warn caring adults, whether teachers, neighbors, relatives, or friends, that a child might be the victim of abuse. How to understand the non-verbals of the hands and fingers. Among all species, our human hands are unique, not only in what they can accomplish but also in how they communicate. Human hands can paint the Sistine Chapel, pluck a guitar, maneuver surgical instruments, chisel a David, forge steel, and write poetry. They can grasp, scratch, poke, punch, feel, sense, evaluate, hold, and mold the world around us. Our hands are extremely expressive, they can sign for the deaf, help tell a story, or reveal our innermost thoughts. No other species has appendages with such a remarkable range of capabilities. As a result, the hands can execute very delicate movements, they can reflect very subtle nuances within the brain. An understanding of hand behavior is crucial to decoding nonverbal behaviors, for there is practically nothing your hands do that is not directed, either consciously or subconsciously, by your brain. The following are ways by which appearance and nonverbals of the hands affect interpersonal perception. Hiding your hands creates a negative impression, keep them visible. People may regard you with suspicion if they can't see your hands while you are talking. Therefore, always be sure to keep your hands visible during face-to-face -face communication with others. If you've ever spoken to someone whose hands are underneath a table, I think you will quickly sense how uncomfortable the conversation feels. When we interact in person with other individuals, we expect to see their hands, because the brain depends on them as an integral part of the communication process. When the hands are out of sight or less expressive, it detracts from the perceived quality and honesty of the information being transmitted. The power of a handshake. A handshake is usually the first and possibly only physical contact we have with another person. How we do it, including its strength and how long it is maintained, can affect how we are perceived by the person we are greeting. We can all remember someone who shook our hand and left us feeling uncomfortable about them or about the situation. Don't dismiss the power of a handshake to leave an impression. It is very significant. Avoid using hand gestures that offend others. In many countries throughout the world, finger pointing is viewed as one of the most offensive gestures a person can display. Studies show that people don't like it when someone points the finger at them. In schools as well as prison yards, finger pointing is often the precursor to many fights. When talking with their children, parents should be careful to avoid pointing at them while saying things like, I know you did it. The finger pointing is so distasteful that it may actually divert the child's attention from what is being said as they process the hostile message of the gesture. Snapping your fingers at someone is also considered rude. You should never attempt to get someone's attention with the same gesture you may use to call your dog. In the Michael Jackson trial in 2005, the jurors did not appreciate the mother of one of the victims snapping her fingers at the jury. This had a very negative effect. Conclusion A person who is not comfortable, not emphasizing, and whose communication is out of synchrony is, at best, communicating poorly or, at worst, being deceptive. Discomfort may originate from many sources, including antipathy between those involved in the discussion, the setting in which the conversation is held, or nervousness during an interview process. It can also, obviously, be a result of culpability, guilty knowledge, having to hide information or plain lying. 
The possibilities are many, but now that you know how better to question others recognize their signs of discomfort, and the importance of putting their behaviors into context, at least you have a starting point. Only further inquiry, observation, and corroboration can assure us of veracity. There is no way we can prevent people from lying to us, but at least we can be on guard when they attempt to deceive us. Try this, be careful not to label someone a liar with limited information or based on one observation. Many good relationships have been ruined this way. Remember, when it comes to detecting deception, even the best experts, including the author, are only a blink away from the chance, and have a 50-50 probability of being right or wrong. Plainly put, that's just not good enough.